everybody is competing for capital on the market, for uh, buyers, for customers, right? If if you have two vendors that are very similar, you would then choose the one that is environmental friendly, more friendly, and that is more acting more social responsible, right? Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofion's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofion.com that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. I hope you're all having a nice summer as we start to move into fall. I hope everybody's getting outside and getting a little bit of fresh air. We had a request. You know, people can write to us. If you ever have a topic you want to have brought up, reach out to me. You could get me at talks at sofian.com or you get me on LinkedIn. You can get me through the Sofian website. But we had a request to talk about a circular economy, especially in chemical. And, you know, I had to think of, well, who, who in Sofian would be a good person our old friend H.C. Epic, who's been on a couple of podcasts already, came to mind. He's uh, he's really connected in chemical and, and thought he'd be a great person to to talk about to us. So he's back. So welcome, H.C. Hey, well, welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're becoming a regular. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't tell anybody. How's uh, How are you doing, H.C.? Uh, great, great, great. Um, after like 18 months of like just being in the home office, I had my, my first uh, appointment with real people outside of my home office yesterday again. So I'm, I'm still all jazzed up and, uh, you know, the face-to-face -face communication and all the interaction that goes with it, that's so much more fun and, you know, more exciting. And it was really a great, a great, great, great event for me. Oh, Fantastic. What, was it a business event? Something business related? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, a business meeting. Uh, but as I'm coming from a, a region filled with lots of great companies like champions in the world, um, I was spending time with one member of the supervisory board of a, of a, a company here in my hometown, actually. And, uh, and they had invited me to their uh, yeah, boardroom uh, with a lot of uh, senior people. And we had great discussions around um, the current state of the economy. Uh, the the where do you, what where did they go? What are the the, the countermeasures to you know uh, get through the flawed economy? And also uh, at what what comes next? So what's on the horizon? Where do they need to prepare for uh, for the next wave, which is uh, basically the the, the increased um, uh, environmental uh, um, issue? And uh, and they're headed toward a circular economy. That's that's the topic really. So that we had a nice fit of what uh, we talked about yesterday and and our um, conversation today. Ah, great timing, great timing. Yeah, I I did a uh, podcast episode a little while ago, just checking in a few companies in their annual reports. You know, what, yeah. what's in, what's important to them, yeah. and and you know, green 
and sustainability is certainly top of mind of many, many companies. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how exactly we got from green and sustainability to the idea of the circular economy, I guess, you know, it's bringing back around, but tell us a little bit about what that means. What, what do they mean by circular economy? You described a path that, yeah, the world basically went through very well already. So it started out with, with these, let's say, environmental awareness in the late 70s, early 80s. That was when uh, there were environmentalist groups were founded that may later become parties like in Germany, the Greens, right? The Grünen. Yeah, green, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, I think they were founded actually in 79. So, so that was the time when, when a lot of people became aware of, hey, fossil fuels are really not lasting forever. We're taking advantage of forests so much that they're disappearing. And that means a lot of the ecosystem is dying. A lot of species are going extinct. That was all. I was in school, of course, and I think it, I was in high school. Yeah, I was in high school at that time. And it was even taught in high school. If we um, continue to exploit the planet as we already did in, in the 70s, 80s, what that would mean to our resources and to our planet in the long run. So that was when the awareness was rising and then uh, sustainability became more and more important. And sustainability means that there is a general consent that if you produce something, you would comply to the standards, to the general standards, not only of uh, manufacturing or something, but also to the environmental and standards, right? And social standards. So, and that general understanding has then evolved into, hey, sustainability is, is generally a, a great thing, but we need to really widen the scope. Uh, I may be going ahead here, but, but that's, that's basically how that developed because everybody was noticing the climate change is really based on the CO2 emissions that uh, humanity brings into the, in, into the air, right? So circular economy is focusing not only on sustainability, but mainly also on reproducing or reusing stuff and reducing waste to the max, right? Ideally, you would use the waste as the base stuff for the next product. And it encompasses also decrease your CO2 emissions, become carbon neutral. Just recently, uh, in 2020, there was a, a new regulation and an, an action book commissioned by the European Union for all countries that are within the European Union that, that uh, says we need to make that change towards a circular economy. Uh, circularity needs to be our first goal, really. And that is now not a, a choice for any producing company. It's really mandatory. So I think that's in like in a short way, how it became green, sustainable into a circular economy. I think circular economy encompasses everything and even more. Does that make sense? It does. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned carbon neutrality yeah. and we see a tremendous amount of companies now very close to the point where they're saying they're energy neutral. They're able to operate without taking any any energy whatsoever, uh, electricity in particular, factories becoming uh, electrical neutral. So those are all related to circular economy. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's many more initiatives and we see that everywhere, right? 
So Sophion uh, has a customer, a chemical, uh, a plastics producer that is already has a zero waste, uh, mm-hmm. not only a vision or something. No, they have accomplished that goal already. So in their factory where they produce their, their plastic uh, products, they have zero waste. They reuse everything. So that, that's probably the gold standard where, where people want to go, but then you need to uh, look actually one step, one step further and encompass your uh, supply chain and your customers. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it doesn't matter if you yourself don't have any waste, but your customer wastes like 50% of your stuff. So then we're back to square one. Yeah. We have some other customers who are really focused on aluminum, you know, aluminum yeah, in automotive, right. aluminum yeah. in packaging, uh, aluminum cans, and you know the the whole recycling of aluminum is a big deal. They strive to get a large percentage of the aluminum being recycled. Aluminum recycling is part of circular economy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Recycling is is part of it, but also founding new ecosystems where one feeds off, uh, one producer feeds off the other, right? So. Mm-hmm. That's all part of circular economy. And if someone wants just to Google it, you, you will find uh, major initiatives from every large manufacturer, every large chemical uh, supplier, any big company, except maybe for financial services, because they, <laughs> they hardly <laughs> have any waste. <laughs> right. And they're yeah, pretty good at recirculating money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but even they, as we as we see that with the with the big IoT or internet providers. Even banks need to make sure that the electricity, the power that where they their data centers are, are green, right? Yeah. So they're looking for means to decarbonize their whole enterprise, even if it's an assurance, even if it's a bank, right? And we see lots of these initiatives going. Yeah, you know, there's a big threat to that when you think about crypto uh, mining. Right, they're using tremendous amounts of energy. Right. Yeah. Uh, they've kind of gone the opposite way of trying to be anything uh, friendly to the environment. Maybe they that, don't realize it, but yeah, that's a that's a great example of they didn't think the sheer amount of energy that that is consumed to mine cryptocurrencies, right, is really a threat for the environment. Yeah, they didn't think so far, no. and I'm, and I'm sure they're also working on finding ways to to become greener. Absolutely. Well, some countries are kicking them out because yeah, they're right. not green enough yet, right? Yeah. So oh, they consume uh, too much energy. That's yeah. uh, it's a big uh, disadvantage. You know, I know, I know. HC plastics, plastics are one that for years now the industry has been seeking to do something with plastics, make them more recyclable or make them biodegradable for yeah. a long time. Trying different materials, different processes haven't haven't figured it out yet, but it's certainly a major effort and it's in a major you talked about the social societal aspects and expectations and certainly plastics is uh, in many places uh, a big one because people see it they find it washed up along the beaches they know it's That's it's right. a problem but now i hear people talking about batteries right they're really worried about well yeah. all these batteries and all these electric cars what's that going to do yeah i think batteries are really uh, currently they they are producing issues, let's say, at both ends of the supply chain, right? First, by getting them together without exploiting people in, in, in development countries, and then recycling them uh, to a degree where they can actually become new batteries or, or new stuff in general. I don't think 
we have figured that out completely. The battery technology, to that large extent where we see it today, that practically happened overnight, like over the last two years. I think we will see a lot of technology leaps in the next few years in, in the battery technology. And I'm really expecting we will see the same leaps in uh, recycling of these batteries. Yeah. So what's not possible today will be possible tomorrow. And whoever finds the right process to take these batteries apart and, and recombine the stuff to new stuff, uh, he, those people will make a fortune. Yeah, tremendous amount of research going on. And it's it's very much technology-oriented research on the creation side. You know, is it going to be lithium or is it going to be something else? I read about yeah. sodium batteries, maybe not for cars, not yet, but as an alternative to lithium. And yeah. you can imagine it's not just the source of the raw materials, but it's the, the disposition of the raw materials as well. Yeah, that is really fascinating what, what's coming. I can imagine that a lot of the established battery players will have a major role if they position themselves correctly. But I, I can also see totally new players that will only emerge based on the new technology that they develop, right? And that yeah. they can supply to the market. So that's very, very exciting stuff happening. Yeah. And you talked about the ecosystem, right? This is yeah. now we see universities and startups and very yeah. established chemical companies getting together as realizing we're not going to figure this out on our own. Do you have some examples of that? Since you mentioned chemical companies, I think actually chemical companies at the base, they somehow, at least to a certain extent, they invented circular economy because at the very basics of, of all chem parks, someone is producing something and then the waste is used by the next company, right? And so you have a chem park like in Leverkusen uh, that has like 200 companies on it and each one feeds off the other. So in German, that would be a Kreislaufwirtschaft, Kreislaufwirtschaft, and that's word for word a translation of circular economy. Kreislauf. <laughs> there uh, you go. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you look at how BSF started, they started in Ludwigshafen, the, the biggest chem park in the world on the planet and already on their camp park you will find dozens if not even hundreds of companies because bsf founded the verbund and the verbund was their way of describing how to do circular economy on these camp parks but they didn't extend the thought into their supply chain and into their customers right and now we're extending that on a global way so New ecosystems are founded like BSF. They team up with an energy provider to become greener. Others team up with other companies in the process that help them to generate new material or to recycle material. So there's new ecosystems also, as you mentioned, with universities or startups that can produce new stuff that come up with new ideas. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very exciting and, and everybody's out there looking for maybe a mag magic sauce that can contribute to become greener if you want or to contribute to a circular economy and help the companies to thrive as i said in the eu it's it's not something you choose to do you really have to do it it's mandatory so people need to work on that and what i see if, if you don't mind me elaborating on that oh please what, what i see currently what is happening is that a lot of companies have adapted the thoughts and the concepts and the action packs that, that were agreed in the European Union 
and put that in their OKRs and on their missions, visions and all that. But that's still only on the on the senior management level. That's still on the in the reports where we want to go. And it's not um, not sure if the word is right, but it's it's not executed or operationalized into portfolio management. And that's that's one of that's one of the big challenges. And it's also one of the biggest opportunities that's, that's right now it's out there. I had a conversation today with one of our customers, a friend of mine actually, uh, who works at a customer of ours. <laughs> and he said, yeah, we have, we have the stuff, our management um, at the beginning of this year planning, and they had these new targets and objectives. And, and then I asked, yeah, so does that mean you reprioritizing your portfolios, right? Because that would be the, the consequence Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. And he stated, no, we're not there yet. We're, we're, we're on the, on your senior management level. We haven't, we have created awareness. We have an understanding and agreement, but we have not executed on really reprioritizing the portfolio management. And part of why we didn't do it is because we don't have the means to do it. We don't have a, a portfolio management where we can really compare apples with apples and can reprioritize according to maybe new KPIs or something. So, and that's what I see as the, the biggest opportunity basically right now, because if you, if you can become greener faster than someone else in your market, then you have a big advantage, right? It's like you enter a new market with a new product. And yeah. since it's mandatory, if there is a way to become greener, someone else will do it. If this company doesn't do it, someone else will do it. So it's really a race. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a might do. It's a must do. Right? Yeah. It's a must do. Yeah. yeah. You talked about uh, portfolio management. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Right. So that's a, on one hand, portfolio management's a, a fairly well-known mature concept. And yet in so many companies that I deal with, and I'm sure you as well, it's still new, right? Actually operationalizing, if I use that word you used, portfolio management and, and looking at it with the different dimensions and trying to make selection and prioritization against strategies. It, it's still emerging, isn't it, in companies? Yeah, that's and especially in chemical companies, although they, they should be the first actually to fully adapt it. But it's so what happens is I think many people still think in these terms, profit, people, planet. Financially, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, financial, social, environmental. Yeah, right? yeah. So it, it's maybe a human thing to do, but what they do is they rank them in that order. They so do. It's profit yeah. first, then it's people, and then it's the planet. Now what's happening is that this order has changed. Maybe it's not even a ranking order. Maybe they're all level. These three categories are leveled so that profit people and planet stand on the same pain right yeah. they're they're on the same level yeah we see ceos that are now being measured and being accountable yeah. Yeah. for something besides just profit people and planet are both part of ceo compensation ceo uh, you know directives from the board yeah, and I think we're just seeing the beginning of that because these environmental and, and social factors, they become more and more important. And if, as everybody is competing for capital on the market, for uh, buyers, for customers, right? If, if you have two 
vendors that are very similar, you would then chose the one that is environmental friendly, more friendly, and that is more acting more social responsible, right? Yeah. It will be interesting to see if you think about startups and the, the, the VC, the venture capitalist community, how they start, if or how or when they start shifting their investments. You know, they have their own portfolio. They have the portfolios of companies yeah. that they're invested in. It might be interesting to do a little research to see, you know, where are they putting their uh, investments? What percentage? How do they allocate those percentages across those dimensions? I actually don't know. I don't know if you know, but it's something we could look into. Ha, I, I might be one step ahead of you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I knew I brought you on this on this show for a reason. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Because I'm I'm in in so many chemical companies, um, virtually, but I am <laughs> still having a lot of conversations with with portfolio managers, with BU managers, uh, head of R and D, right, product development. So what's what's happening? I've looked that up, and some of our, my uh, customers told me that they actually, they have a website where they call for action. They have new objectives regarding sustainability and circular economy. And then they put out a request to the public. Hey, if you have any idea that could help us, bring it on, bring it in and we review it and whoever contributes something and helps us with becoming more sustainable will get a project with us. So that is, starting to get traction and that will certainly create also new ecosystems you'll see that yeah that's refreshing because that's the the technology research won't have the the financials behind it but it will have other drivers and uh, certainly now you you see with universities can come into that picture into that ecosystem as well I'm not sure if, if yeah, probably a lot of people don't know that but even Germany the administer the general administration, has founded an institute for radical innovation. Yeah, yeah. It's not called radical because that has a neg negative touch sometimes. It's called Sprung Innovation, Institute für Sprung Innovation in Germany. Mm -hmm. So you can get funds from the government, right? There's a bank that distributes these funds. There is a, a lot of investors that are thinking there's big business in sustainability in, in the near future, very near future. So there's new ecosystems being founded as we speak, and there's a, a whole ton of opportunities out there for existing chemical companies to become more sustainable, really. For sure, the big ones, BASF, Covestro, all, all the big chemical companies will. Uh, what you, you spoke last time we spoke, you were, you know, told us a lot about the Mittelstand, that yeah. part of that Germany. Yeah. How do you see them participating in circular economy? Yeah. <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Exactly. Thanks, Paul. And, and it's, it certainly helps that you spend a lot of time in, in Europe <laughs> and in Austria. So you know your way around and you know so many businesses, right, that yeah. are Mittelstand. And, and we have this strong economy in Austria, Switzerland, that is Mittelstand, family-owned, family-oriented. Right. And that, that is really the, the backbone of the economy in, in, in Central Europe. And for them, the governance that comes from the EU is seen as a challenge first. Yeah. But also because they work differently, if I may give you an example. So in Mittelstand companies, a portfolio is typically developed through a bottom-up methodology. So there's a lot of projects and each gets resources 
and then they're funded until you run out of money or resources, right? And so a bottom-up portfolio management that is continued to manage to be managed like that, it's very difficult to change. And so the bottom-up portfolio management, this overloaded portfolios with all these resources, what that does is it actually makes your business very slow. So if something changes, you cannot change your portfolio. You cannot even reprioritize your portfolio because it's really, really slow if it's coming from bottom up and all your resources are dying in the projects that you need to reprioritize. So in, in one of your talks, uh, podcasts, uh, Noel Sobelman did a brilliant summary of how portfolio management, top-down portfolio management is actually bridging strategy and execution. And that's only possible if you run top-down portfolio management. If you run a top-down management approach to your portfolios, where you manage your portfolios according to KPIs or even things you can already see in the future, then you can make, can make faster decisions. And the middle stand, that's one of the challenges really, but there's also these, the, the opportunity with every challenge, there's an opportunity for the middle stand to switch that bottom-up portfolio management methodology where you utilize all your resources until you need heroic effort to just get things done or reach a deadline or something, that you turn that around into a, a KPI-driven decision-making on portfolio management. And that is, uh, that's a challenge for the, the middle stand that they still have to first become aware of and then execute on it. Yeah, yeah, it will be a challenge. Hopefully there'll be access to capital, partnerships that, that may, help, may help them. The middle stand that I'm talking to really, money is not the problem. Yeah, okay. They have okay. no shortage of money. It's more the thinking. Most of the middle stand people, they still think they are a local provider with local people providing to other local companies. But in reality, their supply chain is totally international. Their people are spread all over the world and they are a global player. Yeah, yeah. And tremendous scale there. If we yeah. really want to make a difference in circular economy, they need to be a part of it. Yeah. And then that big opportunity to make that shift and connect they're, they're already there because uh, environmental uh, awareness is very high, very mature in Central Europe because we're so crowded, right? We, and we need to all reuse, use and reuse the same water over and over again and in the same earth and everything. So the awareness is there from the top, but the methodology to execute on the shift, on the strategic shift that is now just happening now on, on boardroom level, that uh, methodologies to execute on that are not there yet. Yeah, understood, understood. Well, let see, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, any final uh, comments you wanted to make or thoughts you wanted to share? Did I miss anything? I might want to point out to the listeners' sake, uh, I, I'd like to point out a, a few sources that are really valuable sources and, and give great information. So of course you can Google everything and, and go to Wiki or something. But the European Union is, of course, a great source. And if you want to really have a very condensed view of methodologies that could advance your business, you can always turn to the PDMA. They have a great book of knowledge. 
be okay, right? And, yeah. and that puts everything together that any manufacturing company, be it from healthcare or from chemical or from pharmaceutical or, or from just industrial manufacturing, if you want, where they have these uh, additional challenges with smart products, right? But everything, all these methodologies from stage gate through scrum, agile, design thinking, it's all nicely bundled and explained in that book of knowledge from the PDMA. And the PDMA, for those of our listeners who are not aware of that, that's the Product Management and Development Association, or Product Development and Management Association. And that's the biggest association for product development that thinks, talks, communicates, and educates people about product development uh, methodologies in the world. So that's really a, um, a very trustful and a very uh, useful source. And I think uh, people should more take more use of that. And then the, even the middle stand can make that leap that they need to do in, in, and then take advantage of that uh, strategic shift that is now happening. Yeah, if there was ever a, you know, work on a local level, but, but participate on a global level, uh, yeah. that organization is one that's pretty good. Great, HC. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Great, as always, for sharing uh, some of your knowledge and experience and things that uh, the listeners can think about. Just uh, wonderful to talk to you again, HC. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for having me. I'm uh, always excited. I, I listen to all the other episodes. Highly recommended. Great compendium of, of the latest and greatest and uh, experiences from 30 plus years, right, from product development and innovation, portfolio management, roadmapping. Everything is in there in your podcast. So I recommend that to the listeners, just go through the whole list. I uh, listen to that in my morning walks and I really enjoy every episode. I really appreciate it. We're trying. So to all your listeners, thank you very much for joining us. This, as HC just said, this is for you. This is about you. So if you have want to reach out to us, please do. If you have things you'd like uh, me to try to find guests about or talk about, please let me know. Uh, we'll certainly take a crack at that. And uh, until next time, I want to wish everybody a good week and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.